because if they don't know you, how can they ever like or trust you? So approaching the podcast or thought leadership platform from a place of brand awareness and marketing and exposure, I think is the most important part of thought leadership. Hi, you're listening to Ready to Scale, the second season of That Really Happened. This season is focused on APS of real estate, asset, process, and strategy. Each guest on the show will reveal the assets they invest in and why they chose to do so. From multifamily to industrial, self-storage, mobile home parks, and more. Then, they'll uncover the processes, tools, and systems they've used to build multi-million dollar businesses. And finally, they'll uncover new, unique, and exciting strategies to invest in real estate. From co-working to buy and hold, fix and flips, co-living, and much, much more. Now let's get the show started. Hey guys, welcome to Ready to Sail. I'm Ellie Perlman, your host, broadcasting from sunny California. When I'm not behind the mic, I buy multifamily properties with passive investors who partner with me on my deals. So this month, I'm giving away a thought leadership tracker, which will help you establish yourself as a thought leader in the multifamily space. This Excel will help you organize all the different activities and tasks you need to perform and help you track everything. This Excel will give you many ideas on how to establish yourself as a thought leader and help you stay on top of your game. So this month, I'm giving away the Thought Leadership Planning Guide and Tracker. This document is going to help you establish yourself as a thought leader in the multifamily space so you can raise capital for your deals. You can monitor and hold yourself accountable and build out your own thought leadership platform. You can find the document at www.elliperlman.com Under the menu option, you need to go to free resources and you'll see the guide right there. If you enjoy the podcast, please take a minute to rate us. It's very important for me and my team who've been working very hard on this podcast. Don't forget to like and follow along with me on social media as well. All right. So let's get things started. I'm very excited today to have my guest, Ruben. His full name is Ruben uh, Griff, and I hope I pronounced your last name correctly. All right. Uh, Ruben is the capital manager for Bakerson and podcast host of the Capital Razor Show. His uh, starting real estate came when he raised around $650,000 in joint venture money from social media. He used this money to buy small multifamily deals in Phoenix, Arizona during the crash and then flip them for profit. So Ruben joins us today to talk about flipping multifamily properties and establishing yourself as thought leaders using social media to raise capital for syndications. Welcome to the show, Ruben. Ellie, I am so thrilled to be here. I just saw you at Best Ever Conference and you were like on the panel. So I'm so honored to be on your show. Thanks for having yeah, me. Yeah, it's absolutely my pleasure. Tell us, where are you uh, calling from today? So I am in Carefree, Arizona at mm. our office podcast room that we just, we just established it. So we bought this building about three months ago and then we created a podcast room for it. And now I launch all of my podcasts from here. Congratulations. I mean, it looks like a very cool room. If you're watching the video version, 
That looks really cool. Well, that's great. Well, Ruben, can you tell us a little bit about how you actually started in real estate? You know, how you tell us a bit about your background and what you did around, you know, 2007, eight, which I assume this is when you started. Yeah. So, so it all actually starts way before then. My, my father was a real estate investor in single family dwellings when I was a kid. And he passed away young, but at around, after I graduated college in 2003, I was trying to forge into real estate. I couldn't figure out exactly what would be the best way. So I got into mortgages, realized that that originally just only taught me how to sell mortgages, but got involved with an educational platform. And then in trying to, to I was a, actually a salesman for this company, which no longer exists. It was called Nouveau Riche. And I started a meetup to attract people that I could partner with, possibly either as an investor or somebody that I could connect. I referred to myself as a connector back then. And in this meetup, I had this individual come from San Diego with a bankruptcy, just broke. He had lost all his money in spec homes. And he was buying up all these fourplexes. He had like a portfolio of about 40 units and he was just buying a fourplex like it seemed like almost every other week and I couldn't understand what he was doing. So I'm like, can I come, you know, visit with your, on your properties and maybe do some filming of it. And what I ended up creating was this original old school version of a thought leadership platform. So I would film him. He would talk about how he found it, how he raised the money for it what he was going to do to tenant occupy it, how he was going to rehabilitate it and how he was going to put it back on the market and how he was going to do it with such efficiency and precision in a matter of 15 to 30 days, which was extremely fast for flipping. Faster than what you could typically do in you know, FHA. I think at the time they had a 90-day flip rule that where you couldn't finance a house unless it was at least 90 days old. But that was the speed of things back then. And by doing these videos and without ever asking, I want to be very clear, I never asked anybody for money on these videos, but we would basically share what we were doing and say, hey, if you're interested in in finding out more about what we're doing, reach out to us. And sure enough, people did. And they would fly in from Washington and Oregon and we would take them to lunch, take them to the properties, let them physically touch the asset for whatever reason that makes it feel real. And then sure enough, we would invite them to participate in a deal with us. They would typically say no the first time, and then we would close it anyways, right? We'd take down a fourplex or a 12plex or whatever the property was. And then we'd come back to them and say, hey, we're in a 60% equity position. We're cash flowing astronomically. We have another deal, and we're going to be buying it in about a week. And they would be like, okay, okay, okay. You know, like, that's, I want to partner with you on this one. You know, I'm not letting this one get away, so... That's that scarcity of ability to join you as an investor in your deal was a very powerful tool. And we would typically either keep the properties or we would just flip them for a quick equity position, you know, sell them like a you know, 15% equity position to the next investor and just move on. And that's how it all started. From there, my partner was like, dude, Ruben, you're so good at the marketing side of things. Why don't you focus on marketing it? And I got this producer to come out from California and we were going to shoot this series and try and get on like A&E or like create this, this pilot program to pitch to different broadcasters and different channels on TV. And, and then my partner started not showing up for the producers to film and things. And then we started getting in arguments and I ended up splitting up with him 
and couldn't figure out how to do it myself because I had these mental roadblocks. Oh, if I don't have a partner, I no longer have a track record. How do I do this by myself? So I ended up back in corporate America behind a desk and I hated it. So one day I quit, took off to Mexico and met my wife. And then I came back eventually to the United States and learned about this thing called multifamily syndication and uh, started interviewing a ton of people about how to do it. Interviewed a lot of different companies and gurus that teach it. And then came across a local syndication company here that's known as Bakerson that's done 860 units. And they said, wait a second, you raised money on social media for real estate, for multifamily? And I'm like, yeah, I did it way long time ago. And they're like, can you do that for us today? And I was like, well, I could try. So they brought me on board. And now I'm part of this syndication group with Bakerson. And we've done a bunch of properties and we're looking to expand. But we've been very old school in our mentality for raising capital. Typically, it's been because we started in wholesaling houses. It's, you know, we find a deal and then raise the capital for it, which is backwards. Now, what's really working and effective is to get people to know, like, and trust you, then teach them why multifamily, provide an educational platform, create an infrastructure for communication with your investors, and then explain to them what a typical deal might look like. And then once you've had those conversations, you raise the capital for, you present the deal to raise capital for. So we're trying to rip everything down from the way that we raise capital and create this new infrastructure to do it the right way, the way that you do it, the way with all your social media posts. And that's where I'm at today. That's how I got involved in real estate. That's one hell of a story, you know, ups and downs and, you know, you're taking a few steps you know, forward and then backward, and then you're going, you're finding your way. That that was amazing. And I think most success stories sound exactly like this. There's no one path where you take and, you know, you grow sometimes, but for the most part, you know, you find, you kind of stumble upon opportunities many times and it's really not planned. That That was a beautiful story. I want to talk about, you know, kind of start talking about the asset because, you know, in the podcast, we talk about assets, then we talk about the strategy and then the process. You started with, you know, buying duplexes and single family homes and, you know, the, the smaller multifamilies. And then when you came back from Mexico, you came back and you started big with, you know, uh, partnering up to buy larger properties. Would you say that investors are more interested in one type of asset versus the other? I would say that people don't even know what's available to them. Like me, I was of the mindset, hey, fourplexes. I know fourplexes. Everything else is outside of my realm. Until I mastered that, how can I move on to something bigger? And I created this you know, like goal-setting strategy where I would take down a fourplex and double my portfolio every year for 12 years or 10, 10 multiplication or five multiplications for a total of 32 fourplexes or 128 units that would cash flow everything that I would need for the rest of my life and showed this deal to somebody. And they're like, well, why don't you just take them all down right now? And I was like, what do you mean? I don't even know how to do that. You know, like, what are you talking about? They're like, well, multifamily, if you want to get to your goal faster, you got to do it as a team. It's, it's called multifamily syndication. And that's how I learned about it. And, you know, in regards to your question, I don't think a lot of people even know that they can be multifamily syndicators. 
they, in some cases, only know one thing, which is to buy a house and then grow that portfolio by buying another house. So I think as people get exposed to this concept of I can go big by teaming with other people, that really sheds light and introduces new strategies for accumulating wealth and creating generational wealth that were not available to them, particularly if you have some money in a 401k or self-directed retirement account just sitting doing nothing from a previous job or something like that. So it's our job, Ellie, to educate these people and let them know that there's other things available to them, right? Absolutely. And I think, you know, it's amazing how every month, at least one person that reaches out to me and says, and of course, there are more of them every week, but there's at least one of them that says, I just found out about syndication. This is amazing. I didn't even know that existed. They didn't know that Oh, they don't have to come with the entire down payment and take care of the entire property themselves, even if it's only a single family home. If they even have fifty or a hundred or two hundred thousand dollars, they can join others and own a fraction of a much bigger property and not take care of the whole, you know, process. So it's really amazing and uplifting, I would say, to see people just, you know, expand their horizons and say, Oh my god, I just found out about it. I found that to be one of the most uh, rewarding parts of, you know, of my job of what I do. So Ruben, I want to talk a little bit about the strategy. And you mentioned that you, you know, found a way to basically establish yourself as a thought leader and that you're, you know, raising capital by educating investors. And I think you said something very important there when you said, I'm not asking people to invest with me. I'm there first and foremost to educate. Can you talk to me a little bit about the strategy of how, you know, you've positioned yourself as a thought leader in the multifamily space? I don't know if it was a strategical decision, but as soon as I was brought on board with Bakerson, I knew that I had success with social media in the past raising money. And it was like, oh, what's the clear logical next step? And I was scared to death, but I was like a podcast and, and I had to just break through it. Just like, I don't know how I'm going to do it, but I have to do it. So I, I just started recording, really approached it from a ready fire aim. Let's figure it out. Jump off the cliff and grow the wings on the way down. And just started in my spare bedroom with a laptop, no microphone, no equipment, you know, like a window that didn't even have blinds, missing stuff, you know, just looked really ghetto. But people really weren't there to find out or see what my background was. It was more about the guest and what value they could bring. So I had Annie Dickerson on there, like on my third show, and she provided a ton of value and really shot me not to superstardom, but to at least a place where I could grow and people would realize that they could come to my show and get information from people, not me, because I'm still learning how to raise capital, but from these guests that have these enormous backgrounds of, of real estate investing and multifamily syndication that they could learn from. So that's how it all started. It wasn't a strategical decision. It was just like, hey, I don't really have a choice. I don't know what else to do to learn raising capital other than launch a podcast and interview people so that I can learn provide value from a vulnerable spot where I'm learning too. And I think people resonate with the fact that I'm not the one that's teaching, but that 
I'm just there to learn with them. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And I, I think that's how it all started, at least the, the thought leadership platform. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, when you're thinking about raising capital and using social media as a strategy to basically grow and buy more apartment buildings and run a syndication business this way, what would you say is the one thing that syndicators should be aware of when they're choosing to go in that path and apply this strategy? Well, they should come from a place of, of brand awareness. So Dan Hanford likes to talk about this triangle of no like and trust. And he likes to ask, what is the most important corner of the no like and trust triangle? And it's kind of a trick question because a lot of people say, well, they'll never invest with you if they don't trust you. They won't invest with you if they don't like you. But the answer is no, because if they don't know you, how can they ever like or trust you? So approaching the podcast or thought leadership platform from a place of brand awareness and marketing and exposure, I think is the most important part of thought leadership. Provide consistency, which is the hardest part, I think, honestly. It's so hard to you know, be in it for the long run and know that you have to post every day or every other day or however often you post, but never stop doing it. So I'd say if they're going to use a thought leadership platform, the first thing to do is be consistent, provide value, and use it as a branding technique so people can find out about what you have to offer. Because if they don't even know that you have something to offer, how can they ever invest with you? Exactly. That's exactly right. And maybe, you know, we should have started with this question, but when you're talking about becoming a thought leader, what does it mean exactly, at least to you? Because I know it can mean different things to different people. I think it means providing value on a platform where people can connect so if you think of a thought leader, I think it can be in two things. One of them, it can be a social media thought leader where you provide value, but you can also be a thought leader within your own database of investors by nurturing, by educating them. You can be the thought leader for them because if you're absent as an investor in terms of your communication, that's going to cause some problems. So you have to first provide thought value to your existing network and also in terms of social media, it just means being visible and providing mm -hmm. value that hopefully they can't get or is not available in other places. And I think the number one aspect to that is to be yourself because yeah. if you're just trying to copy somebody else, people will read through that so fast. So just be yourself. And in my case, I try and come from a place of vulnerability. I'm not the expert. I'm just the guy that that shares from a real personal perspective what I'm learning and they get to learn with me. Mm -hmm. That's a very good advice. Just be, be yourself. And that can be a little bit, you know, it can be a little bit intimidating when you're starting to record and start talking about multifamily, especially when you're just starting out. Let me ask you this, Ruben. I know, so obviously you're focused on a podcast. Are there any other avenues that you're looking into when you're looking at the, you know, becoming or, you know, establishing yourself as a thought leader and which one of the different platforms do you think are providing the highest ROI? I would say that's the wrong perspective to take. I would say, like I asked Neil Bauer on my show, what is the best marketing system or what's the best marketing tool? And he said, well, there is none. You have to use multiple marketing tools simultaneously. Because if you focus on just one, you're, you're not going to tap into everybody else. And people need to get constant 
contact or visibility of you from different places. So whether it's networking or meetups or social media or YouTube, LinkedIn. My favorite is LinkedIn right now. I almost think it's like fun to be there. You know, mm-hmm. I probably want to be on there more. I like LinkedIn a lot. The thought leaders that are on there, they have different styles. You know, you have Dustin Hendrick who just does videos. And then there's the Yona Weiss who's constantly commenting on people's, you know, posts to add value. And the tricky part about LinkedIn is trying to be creative about your post, right? So people love creativity on there, especially when it comes to to business advice or, or things that they can use to implement in their own business. So the, I would like to say that LinkedIn is my favorite, but it is also probably the hardest because you have to stand out in this platform filled with other thought leaders, you know? And that's an excellent point. You have to stand out. What are the best ways that you found, you know, to stand out as a thought leader in the syndication space? Well, for me, and I think I got lucky. Well, I'm not sure if I got lucky or if it was through the gracious of graciousness of God or the grace of God. But I picked a specific little niche within my niche, right? So nobody had a show on raising capital. If you can find a little niche that nobody else can constantly get information about that, in my case, raising capital, then that makes you stand out because everybody's got a, a syndication show. But not everybody has, you know, a specific part of it that they're teaching. You know, somebody... Probably underwriting might be boring to some people. Possibly capital raising would be boring to some people. But there's going to be a specific niche that are attracted to that that you can capture. So I would say pick a little something that separates you from everybody else and then really push on that. So that would be my advice. Well, let's talk about the process. Now, when you're creating the thought leadership platform, when you started creating it, what were the steps that you took to, to build it from scratch? Well, so there's the show, right? And then there's also how do you get the show on, on social media? And one thing that I did that I've seen a lot of people, I'm not trying to say copy me, but I see more people doing this, is they create a clip of the show and they post it on LinkedIn or wherever they want to post it on social media. And I spend a lot of time separating myself and differentiating myself from others by really doing a intense video editing job with like logos and like, you know, underneath it's a, it's a subtitles. And then like, if someone has a book or a podcast, I'll bring that into it and promote them and then capture all the really best parts And then if you know anything about video editing, you have to have like little pieces that capture attention right after each other without any dead space. Mm -hmm. So I do all of those things. I incorporate all of those things into my little clip and that makes me stand out. So I would say that probably is one of my greatest attributes in, in terms of getting out there on social media, standing out. That's great. And I think it's one of the things that are actually... You know, it's challenging to stand out and to find, you know, what's unique about you, your voice, your company, your offerings, your brand, anything, because the competition is, you know, there's, there's a lot of us out there and we're targeting similar, you know, audience. 
let me ask you this, Ruben. When someone is looking to raise capital by using social media, what are the the best practices that you have found over the years that actually worked well for you? And what were some of the mistakes, if you don't mind sharing, that others can actually avoid when they're looking to do something similar to what you do? Yeah, a lot of people think that if you find a good enough deal, you can raise the capital for it. And it, some people can if they have like an amazing network. I talk to NFL football players that already have a lot of people that know, like, and trust them. If they find a deal, they can raise the capital, boom. But for the average Joe Sixpack, that doesn't work, you know? So I would say like the best practices for us is what we're going through. How about if I just tell you what we're going through? So we tried Absolutely. to do that. We raised, we tried raising capital after we had the deal and that worked for so long until we ran out of friends and family capital. And now, you know, from the show, we've learned what I mentioned earlier is the, the four steps of cap, capital raising. First, get somebody to know, like, and trust you. Number two, explain why multifamily. Number three, explain what your return structure is. And then number four, present the deal. And you have to have the first three steps before you go to step four. So the implementation of that strategy and the ripping down of our old antiquated model for raising capital has been the biggest tool that I would recommend for people that are in my boat. If you don't have an, a network or you don't have a ton of accredited investors in your database or your friends list, that's the only way I think that you can be successful at raising capital is by creating that infrastructure, that communication, that email drip campaign, that constantly staying in front of the picking up the phone and talking to them and letting people know that you exist and you're still here for them and that you're working hard. All of those things, I would say, are what we need to do in order to raise capital. And part of it, you know, leads back to brand awareness and being a thought leader or creating some type of blog or getting an article out or getting some type of visible, you know, something where people can find you, you know. So I would say all of those things are what I consider, what I've learned from the show, and what I consider important for raising capital. Well, that's awesome. Ruben, thank you so much for sharing your knowledge and insights about raising capital and becoming a thought leader. We have arrived to the last part of the interview, the lightning round questions. Woo! Five quick questions. Are you ready? You sound ready. Go. Yeah, let's go. All right. Ruben, what's your favorite hobby? Snowboarding. Easily. I love snowboarding. I've been doing it since 1986. There's nothing like that. It's actually considered a form of meditation because I can't think about anything except for what I'm doing as I'm doing it. Mm -hmm. All right. What is the one thing that people don't know about you? I would say nobody knows that I've studied six languages in college. So, I follow I used to speak French. It was like, je ne parle pas français très bien anymore. But I did at one point in time. And parlo un peu d'italiano también. So, and wow. then I probably uh, mix up a lot of like the Portuguese because it's been so long since I practiced. I probably mix Portuguese and Italian and Spanish and English and German, try and use them all as one language. But that's one wow. thing people don't know. That's impressive. That's very impressive. So, what do you wish you had known when you started out? 
So I interviewed Sam Freshman and he said one thing that every major people mistake that they do is they should have bought more and should have sold less. This is from somebody who invested for 60 years. I agree because if I had just kept everything that I owned back during the crash, I'd be so set right now. You have no idea. I'd be like, I'd be a millionaire. It is what it is. You learn. I wouldn't trade it for my wife, I'll tell you that. <laughs> All right, well, that's that's important. And what's your number one advice to a real estate investor who wants to scale their business? Pick a specific aspect of your business to master. So whether it's raising capital or underwriting, if you can become really strong at that, you can make your team more powerful. All right. Ruben, thank you so much again. And if our listeners want to reach out to you, how can they find you? My handle on Instagram is at Capital Raiser. You can find me on LinkedIn or Facebook, or you can contact me at Ruben at Bakerson.com or visit our website, Bakerson.com, or visit me at Capital Raiser Show to check out our episodes, something like that. All of those are good, good avenues. All right. Perfect. Well, that was fun. Thank you so much. You know, we were chatting about one of my favorite topics. That was enjoyable for me. And I hope that the listeners also, you know, learn a thing or two. I know that I did. And I thank you again for your time. Thank you, Ellie. It's been a pleasure to be on your show. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.